dear friends in Christ. The evangelist uh, Billy Graham, uh, early in his ministry, one day he was traveling through the south, and he was driving through a small town, and he, he looked through the rearview mirror of his car, and he had the experience that perhaps some of us have experienced. You see those flashing red and blue lights, and the officer telling you to pull over. So he pulled over, Billy Graham rolled down his window, and the officer said, You're feeling to it. Billy Graham said, I'm so sorry, I just must not have been paying attention to the speed limit. So here's the ticket story, you need to appear in court the next day. So the next day, Billy Graham stood before the judge. The judge looked at him and said, Mr. Graham, I have one question for you. You need to ask you the question, are you innocent or guilty of the charge of speeding? He said, well, I'm guilty, Your Honor. The judge took the gavel and said, guilty it is, that will be a fine of $10. One dollar for every mile per hour you're going over the speed limit. And then the judge looked again at Billy Graham because something had been familiar to the judge about this guy. And then he recognized him as this young and up and coming preacher from North Carolina. And he said, Thanks again. You violated the law and the fine must be paid. But I tell you what, I'm going to pay that fine for you. So the judge reached behind his robe, grabbed his wallet, pulled out one of his own ten dollar bills, attached it to the ticket, marked it, stamped, paid in full. And he said, Your fine has been fully paid by me. And one other thing, Pastor Graham, before I let you leave town, I'm going to take you out and buy you the best state generous money can buy. Billy Graham said that day in court, and how he was treated by the judge is how God treats you and me every day in his grace as repentant sinners. Because Billy Graham that day in court received grace. He, deserved, he, he received the break he didn't deserve. And that day in court, Billy Graham received mercy. He didn't get everything that was coming to him. And as we continue today in our spring sermon series, as we've been looking through the four-chapter Old Testament book of Jonah, in our series entitled After the Storm, which is based in part on the book, The Prodigal Prophet, by best-selling author and pastor Tim Keller. Today, we again pick up the story of Jonah, that reluctant prophet as he's now back on the road to Nineveh. Jonah, who we saw last week, is the recipient of God's grace and mercy. Jonah is finally going to make it to Nineveh and preach the word of the Lord, preach repentance, including a call to do justice and preach the law of God. Now, last week, you saw the prodigal and the reluctant prophet being that recipient of God's grace himself, that undeserved love, that reckless love of God that we just heard sung about. As he was thrown overboard from the ship, Seemingly, you drowned within minutes in the waters of the Mediterranean Sea, but someone had provided. He provided that great fish to swallow Jonah, even though Jonah was defying him. He wasn't heading east toward Nineveh. No, he was running the opposite direction, west toward Tarsus. God in his mercy is going to save Jonah. Now, about 10 days ago, I had a member call me on a couple things on the phone and answered a couple questions. And she switched topics on me. She said, Pastor Tim, I've really been enjoying this Jonah sermon series. I said, oh, that's, that's good to hear. And she said, but there's one thing I don't think I've ever heard about Jonah, or maybe I just caught it, and she said, she forgot. But she said, how did he get out of that big fish? 
He had to get out of that big stress. And I jokingly said, well, if you pay attention in a week or two in church, you'll find out. And she said, oh, no. Come on, tell me, how did you get out? And I said, okay, well, basically, the great fish vomits him up to a beach. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry I asked. I was just ready to fix one. But then I begged to vomit. Not only did Jonah not drown in the waters of the Mediterranean Sea, after three days, God released him from that great and we see in Genesis 2.10 that the Lord spoke to that great fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. And as much of a thrill-riding experience as that must have been for our prophet, God was saving him to live and serve him another day. Now, for our time in God's Word today, there's four things I'd like to look at. Four things that I think can make a difference in our lives and the times in which we live right now. Four things to a call for repentance that we see in the third chapter of Jonah. And the first of those four keys that we see in Jonah 3 is that God is willing to give you and me and all people another chance. He wants all to have that opportunity to repent. And as I said before, Jonah last week we saw was the recipient of God's grace and mercy, although I think it's fair to say that Jonah didn't quite fully recognize it and appreciate it at this time. From the text that Greg read, Jonah 3, let's pick it up at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, as we see, Jonah did not listen the first time. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. In his mind, that was the capital city of the brutal and hated Assyrian Empire. He didn't want anything to do with it. But he did not give up on his prophet. And God did not give up on the people of the city of Nineveh. God is giving Jonah a second opportunity. A second chance to obey him and go and preach the word of the Lord so that the people of Nineveh would have the opportunity to repent. Now, to date, Jonah has been the reluctant, defiant, anti-prophet. But we saw last week he repents in the belly of that great fish. And God does spare his life to live and let him serve another day. Jonah gets a boat, a second chance, and Nineveh. A wicked and corrupt, violent city of 120,000 people, God wants to have the chance to hear his word, repent, and to be saved. Now, one other thing is the gospel, the good news of God's love for us in Jesus, the good news of what Christ has done for us on the cross, is very much a message of another chance. It's a call to repentance. Now, biblical repentance is not just starting to feel bad or have a little bit of remorse or feel bad because you got caught doing something wrong. Biblical repentance is really a 180-degree type of complete turnaround or reversal by the power of God going from the direction you are headed to the direction that God wants us to go. It's an invitation to turn our life around and get right with God by and with His power and faith. And the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9 that the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some people understand, slowness. It's that he's patient with you and me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in our gospel text that Greg read a few moments ago, Luke 15, 7, from the parable of the lost sheep, listen to what Jesus said. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. 
God wants to save all people. He wants all to have the chance to experience repentance. Now, Jonah, as we see, the name of obedience, finally goes to the great city of Nineveh and preaches the word of the Lord. He was fine. The people didn't want to him. They didn't try to do bodily harm to him. Matter of fact, in the original text, the Hebrew word for repent appears four times in Jonah 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. And I think that reflects something miraculous that happened. The people actually listened and they repented. The unthinkable took place. And our text says that the entire city of 120,000 people, all social classes, they repented. They put on sackcloth and they fasted. Both signs are the ancient Near East at that time of ceremonial mourning. All the people did it, even the animals of Nineveh, put on cloth and they fasted. A city of 120,000 people. Repent. Again, one of the things I think we see throughout God's Word is that God wants all people to be saved. And Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 2.25 that repentance is always, always the work of God. And that leads us to our second key today. I think we see in Jonah chapter 3 of the four keys of this call to repentance. And it's this, that Jonah was preaching not only a message of repentance, but a message of justice and how timely that is. Jonah 3.5 states that the Ninevites believed God. They believed God. Whether they all came into a saving covenant relationship with the one true God or whether they were just starting to believe and starting to turn from the ways, maybe we're not sure. But what is clear is they heard God. God's Word had an impact. God's Word, His call for repentance, His call for justice, for fruit. Jonah warned of the consequences of the evil and violent and most vile behavior of the people of Nineveh. Some of the very things that made Jonah and other Hebrews at that time so despised the city and the people that did so much harm to their country. Jonah focused on their evil ways and their injustice, their cruelty, and called them to repent and change their ways and turn toward God. Now, certainly other prophets of the Old Testament such as Amos and Micah and Nahum and Isaiah had called on people to repent, turn from evil, turn from their injustice. But the prophet Micah, in chapter 6, verse 8, and this is a great verse to have on our hearts each and every day that we live on this earth. And I think it's especially timely for the, the days that we live in, currently in our country. Micah states this, he says, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Isn't our country need that much now more than ever? Amen? Amen. God calls each and every one of us in this world today to repent and seek justice as well as we live out our lives to service to Him in response to the faith and the love and the mercy He has shown us. And that leads us to our third key today from Jonah 3 and the four calls Four keys of the call to repentance. And that's this. In understanding the law, the call to repentance leads to God's power of salvation. Now, Jonah, Jonah does go to Nineveh, we see today in our text, and preaches the word of the Lord. But God wants a complete transformation to happen in that city, not just a call for social justice alone. Jonah shares the truth of God's word, he shares the law with the people of Nineveh. 
Now, Jonah had quite a plan. Besides going to the city, Philip was people that in his mind were hateful and barbaric and had done so many wrong things to his beloved country, Israel. The reluctant prophet had an enormous city to travel across to carry out God's word to preach. Nineveh was a city of 120,000 people. Again, today that may not seem like such a big city. Those are, for example, the residents of Clinton Township. Uh, we live in a township of 90,000 plus people pretty close. But at that day in the East Marine, the city of 120,000 people would be the New York City of its day. And ancient records indicate that Nineveh at that time of Jonah was seven miles wide. And so, as Greg read in Jonah 3, 3, it took him literally three days to traverse or walk across the city, preaching the word of the Lord. In contrast, his hometown Jerusalem, it only taken him one day to do that. So Jonah preached for what? In our text, he preaches, repent, none of us, or in 40 days the city will be overturned in all this world. God wanted the people of Nineveh to see their sins so that they would be able to see the need for the one true God. The prophets of the Old and the New Testament, just as you and I today, and we're God's modern-day prophets and spokespeople as we live out our lives each and every day. I think our call to remember what has been called the two great doctrines of Scripture, or the two great teachings of the Bible. The two great teachings of the Bible are law and gospel. And in our Lutheran Christian heritage, I think this is one of the hallmarks of our Lutheran theology. We try to rightly interpret and teach and apply both law and gospel as we hear God's word and as we share it with others. Put one way, very simply but importantly, the law shows us our sin. It shows us our need for God, the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us. That shows us our Savior. The law shows us our sin. The gospel shows us our Savior. And we need to hear both. In a sense, as we hear God's word, as we share God's word with other people, it's like we need to have a balanced, spiritual, biblical diet of both. To illustrate it this way, if we only ever heard the law, or if we only shared God's law with people without the good news of the gospel, if we only shared the law, the fact that it's true that we can, and we fall in short and we miss the mark. All law with no gospel would lead us to despair. It would lead us to a sense of no hope, right? Because Paul reminds us in Romans 3, 23, for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know we're not perfect. On the other hand, if we all hear the gospel, as wonderful and life-changing as that news is, but without any context of the need for it or the law, if we hear the gospel, the good news that God wants to do, that we sin as only sin in this world, to live that perfect life that you and I can't lead, to lead that perfect life that you and I can't get right, to suffer and die for every wrong thing we've ever done or will do, and to take our place on the cross and rise again that all who believe in Him shall have life eternal. If you hear that life-transforming news without understanding the need or the why behind it, it can lead to a concept of cheap and great or not fully recognizing the undeserved nature the gift of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. In other words, if we hear the gospel without understanding the law or the need for it, doesn't make it much of a gift. God, as we see today in our text, loves the people of Nineveh. He loves the people of Nineveh enough 
to make your journey of gentle gospel. And God, that you and me and all people today on this 8 billion plus populated planet, enough to have sent Jesus to save us from our sins. And you can't say that. That's what Jesus, the name means. It literally means he saves us. It's in his name. It's in his name. The law saves us our sins. I just said. The gospel saves us our Savior. I bless you for that. And that leads us to our fourth and final theme today that I think we need to keep in mind as we live out our lives and we look at the question of repentance and justice. We see in our text today Jonah experiencing the awesome mystery of God's mercy. Even though Jonah obeyed God the second time and went to Nineveh, and he preached the word, he preached repentance, he preached justice, his heart wasn't in it. We'll see as we go through the book of Jonah, he really didn't care. But the people listened or they repented. He wasn't worried about their destruction. Even though he himself, Jonah, had just been the recipient of God's grace and mercy. Jonah somehow felt that these groups of people were beyond the scope of God's love. That they did not deserve God's mercy and grace. And he, will see next week, was waiting for the hammer of destruction to come upon this city. But the most remarkable thing happened. The people listened. They were people. And God, of course, responds in mercy. Jonah 3.10, When God saw what the people of Nineveh had done, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The word works in spite of the unwillingness and the lack of sincerity of the reluctant prodigal prophet. And I think there's a key lesson here today. It's the power of God's word that brings repentance. It's the power of God's word that brings change. It's the power of God's word that brings transformation. It's not the sincerity of the message. It's the message, not the message that is ultimately key to God is doing the doing. Jonah's heart was not fully in his preaching, but the power of God's message changed hearts. And God and His Word still changes hearts and minds and lives and souls today. And I think we need to remember that, especially in the days that we're living in currently in our country, with all the concern and upheaval and unrest that we see unfolding before our eyes. As individuals and as a society, as a nation, we need to remember that true transformation only comes through Jesus. Only true change, only true peace, only true reconciliation, only true justice comes through Jesus. As Greg said in our prayer today, as individuals, as the church, as our nation, we need revival. And maybe our prayer by God's power that He gets our hearts right again as a people and as a nation, and that as a country we fix our faith upon Him again. Amen? Amen. Jonah, in his obedience, preached repentance, justice, law, and gospel. So his heart is not full of love or compassion or empathy for the people of the city. But God, nevertheless, works his mystery, his awesome mystery of mercy, through Jonah and God's word that Jonah spoke. Now, I know about you. But this story today from Jonah 3, it gives me a lot of encouragement. It gives me a lot of hope. 
for my Jonah moments that I have, and perhaps the Jonah moments that you have, it makes life fun and astronaut. When we need to be tempted to be that reluctant prophet, when we sometimes are that prodigal messenger, when you and I are that reluctant spokesperson in sharing God's mercy and grace and love that He wants all people to experience. There are times, perhaps, when we wrongfully conclude that a person or a group of people are beyond the scope of God's love. So there are times when we come to the conclusion in error that a person or a group of people don't really deserve God's grace and mercy. So there are times when we fall short and we feel that a person or a situation or a group is incapable by the power of God of doing that 180 degree reversal and turnaround and turning to Him. So there's times perhaps when our heart is not in it. The story of Jonah reminds us, like Jonah, we're all works in progress. We're continual works in progress. And if you think about it, we're all men of us, apart from what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. An atheist said, once told William Booth, William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army, he told William Booth this one day, he said, Bill, if I really believe what you Christians believe and teach and confess, if I really believe, Bill, what you Christians say about life and death and heaven and hell, if I really believe I would get up every morning early and crawl across crushed glass on bare knees up and down every street of the city of London, telling everybody I could find about this Jesus, so that they would be saved. May we be open to God working through our daily moments amidst and after the storms of life, to realize that today God still desires all people to hear His word, to repent, and to be saved, and that our awesome God and His awesome mercy still changes hearts and lives and minds and souls today. Every bit as much as it did way back in the 8th century Nineveh BC. In the name of Him who is indeed greater than John. Amen.